How are we doing this morning? Good, good. As you guys know, uh, we've been traveling through uh, the book of Ephesians. Uh, we are definitely on the home stretch now. Uh, we're beginning chapter 6 today. Uh, but before we get into uh, chapter 6, I, I want you to see the flow uh, of what we're in. I want you to see the flow of this text. Um, as many of you know, uh, the, as we read the Bible, we come across chapters and verses. Now, those chapters and verses were not added until much later. Okay, so sometimes when we when we view text, it can kind of seem uh, segmented or choppy. But but this is not segmented or choppy at all. This is one flow and one thought. And so when the apostle Paul sat down to pen this letter, he wrote it as one big long letter. And then they would deliver that letter, and they would come in, and then they would read the whole thing at once. Okay, so what what we've done is kind of segmented and chopped it up into several different pieces. Uh, but in order for us to see the flow and the big idea of the text today. Uh, d- just go in reverse, and, and, and we walk through this text, but, but I want you to see it. Go in reverse and go to chapter 5, verse 18. Okay, chapter 5, verse 18, because I, I want you to see the, the big scope. Here's what it says in verse uh, 18 of chapter 5. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, And singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the call there is to um, be filled with the Spirit. Did you see? Did you see the comparison? On, on one side, you have drunkenness, which is being controlled by alcohol. Or being filled with the Spirit, meaning being controlled or filled with Him. And so you're under the control of the Spirit. And then there were some things that flowed out of a Spirit-filled life. Did you see those? Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Meaning that someone who is filled with the Holy Spirit of God is an encourager and a worshiper. In addition, it said giving thanks to God. So someone who is filled with the Spirit... Okay, they're worshipers, they're encouragers, and they're thankful. And then lastly, someone who is filled with the Spirit is submissive. Everybody say submissive. Submissive, okay. So what the Apostle Paul did from that point, you guys still with me? Okay, I just jumped right in and got right after. I hope you guys are with me this morning. What the Apostle Paul did from that point, okay, so from verse 21 where where he said that a spirit-filled life is a submissive life, he used that as a launching pad to launch into some specific areas of submission, okay? So there, there is a general call on the life of every believer to be submissive, okay? Every believer, our posture should be submissive, okay? Now, I know that sounds crazy, just saying that out loud sounds weird, right? It's almost like nails down a chalkboard for some of us uh, because we're Americans, right? We don't submit to nobody, right? There's this idea bred into us um, that, that we are to take the posture of dominance. We're in control. We don't submit ourselves to what other people want. We fight to get what we want, Okay, we fight to be at the front of the line. We fight to get what we want when we want it. We're we're not dominant, or we we try to be dominant and not submissive. Instead of taking a general posture of submission, meaning sacrificing my life to see other people built up, we would rather tear down other people to build ourselves up, right? 
This, this is the general, okay. It happens from when you're born. Every toddler believes the entire world is bent around them, correct? Right, that's what happens. When they don't get their way, they cry, they lay in the floor and kick and scream. The problem is many of us carry that thought process on into our adult lives. And instead of loving people and serving people, we leverage them to get what we want. Instead of building people up, we manipulate them so that our kingdom is built, so that we get what we want when we want it. We're generally speaking, our sinful human nature is not submissive, rather it's dominant and it's selfish. Am I right? Yeah. Okay. So as I'm... <laughs> As I'm describing that, that type of person, okay, so I want you to maybe think about that type of person, someone who is dominant rather than submissive, someone who uses people to get what they want instead of serving people, uh, someone who is unwilling to be uh, inconvenienced, okay, are you thinking about that person? Okay, let me ask you this question, and if you can't think of anyone, it's probably you. Um, is that person happy? Does that person live with a deep sense of joy? Okay, no. Selfish, unsubmissive people are not happy, joyful people. They're not. They're, they're simply not, okay? So unsubmissive, I don't care what you say. I'm not going to do it. Uh, I'm, I'm going to do it my way when I want to do it, where I want to do it. This is unsubmissive people, unwilling to be inconvenienced, okay, Unsubmissive, dominant people are not happy, joyful people, okay? The, again, the, this is God's plan for us. This is God's design that we live with a general sense and a general posture. The Christian should have a general posture of submission. Why? Because in so doing, we model Christ and find deep joy. The, the way to have your deepest joy um, is to lay your life down and sacrifice for the people around you. Philippians 2.3 says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. This is the general way the Christian should believe and think. Other people are more significant than me. It's not all about me. Other people are more significant than me, and so I want to leverage my entire life to love and serve and build up other people. Now, again, when we do that, we find our deepest and happiest place, okay? And, and so this is what God is wanting um, for our, our lives. Um, th the reason that a believer is able to give our lives away is because of this. Because we have received what is so much greater than what we could ever give away. The reason that a believer is able to give their whole life away is because they have received something that is actually greater than what they could give away. Does that make sense? So, so you can spend your whole life giving away your time, your talent, your treasure. You can spend your whole life giving all your stuff away and, and leveraging your whole life to love and serve other people. Give it all away. And your motivation to do that or how you're actually able to do that is because of what you have received, okay? What have you received if you're a believer? Jesus, right. You've received love and hope and joy and peace and you've received all that in Christ. And so, what is your time? What is your talent? What is your treasure? What is your house? What is your car? What is your possessions and stuff? And I mean, all that's so silly and, and small compared to what you've received in Christ. So 
There's a general call in the scriptures, again, chapter 5, verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because we have received so much in Jesus, we can just live a general life of submission. So he uses that as a launching pad to move out from there to say, okay, so, so every believer everywhere lives a general life of submission, meaning they sacrifice their time, their talent, and their treasure. They leverage their entire life to build up other people. Now, specifically, I want to talk about wives, okay? See, see now, now you see that next in the text, verse 22, wives submit, okay? So verse 21, submitting to one another. That's everybody everywhere. Every believer everywhere, general uh, position, general posture of submission. Now, now uh, I, I want to talk about specifically wives submit, Okay? So with wives submitting specifically, there, there's a tag on that uh, because wives are specifically submitting. Now husbands are called to specifically love. Then it's going to move on in the text, and what we're going to see today is children obey or children submit. Okay? So do you see how it all ties together? This isn't just like, you know, chapter five, done. Turn the next chapter. Like, like we generally think when we read a book, this is one fluid thought of the believer's life being a life of submission, specifically wives, okay? Now it's gonna, today we're gonna see specifically children. The fathers are gonna get some specific modifiers. And we're also gonna see workers or, or people who are employed uh, at, at their job are called to be submissive as well. All building off of the foundation of verse 21 that extends out through uh, verses uh, one through nine in chapter six. This is one fluid thought about the general submission of the life of a believer. Okay, so here's what we're gonna see in the text today. Number one, we see the child's role, his attitude, and his reward. We're gonna see the child's role, we're going to see his attitude, and his reward. So, uh, a child is to, here's his role, obedience to the parent, okay? That's his role, that's, what, that, that's where he is in the pecking order in the house, okay? Some people's houses are flipped upside down and the kid dominates and runs the place, that is not how it's supposed to go, <laughs> okay? Um, children are supposed to be obedient to their parents. So, but uh, that's his role, but it's not just a role, it's also his attitude. It follows up by saying honoring, honoring your mother and father. So he's supposed to obey in an honoring way. That's his attitude. Um, and, and then his reward, that it may go well with you in the land. So, so there's, it, it goes good for kids who obey, okay? Verse four, Paul gives a warning to the fathers and describes his special work for them. Okay, he, he gives a warning to the fathers. Your kids are built to be obedient. They're supposed to be obedient that, to, to the parents, okay? They're, they're supposed to have a good attitude. They, they get rewarded for doing it. But fathers, watch out. Don't provoke your kids to anger, okay? That, that's the warning. Don't provoke them to anger. Rather, here's, if you're a dad in here, here's your special duty. It says raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That, that's the dad's job. Discipline, instruction. That's his special, the, the father's special call. Okay? Number three, verses five through eight, we see a worker's role, their attitude, and their reward. 
Okay? Just like we saw the kids, it, it, it was the kids' role, the kids' attitude, and the kids' reward. We're, we're going to see the worker. If, if you work a job, we're going to see your role, what your attitude should be, and then what your reward is. Okay? Your role, again, is obedience. Your attitude is with a sincere heart, is what the text says. And then your reward is uh, what Jesus gives you when you're obedient, when, when you walk in how you're made to be and in your role. And lastly, bosses will receive a warning. Okay, don't be a jerk boss. Okay, that, that's, that's the call, that's the command. Don't, don't try to intimidate people. So those of you who are in here, maybe in a management position, you have workers who are under you or people who are under you, this is going to call you uh, to something today. Okay, that's where we're headed. That's where we're headed today. You guys ready to get in the text? Okay, here we go. Let's look at the text today. Chapter six, verse one, chapter six, verse one. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Okay. It begins with the word children. This means someone who is dependent on their parents financially and emotionally, okay? This means someone who is dependent on their parents financially, emotionally. They need their parents to provide for them. That's where they're at in their life. Now, I want to give a side note to this and say the Bible has no concept of adolescence, Okay? The Bible has no concept of a middle ground to where either you're a kid or an, uh, an adult or, or in, and there's just kind of this middle ground to where you're just kind of bumbling through life, uh, you know, eating a lot of chips and salsa and playing a lot of video games and just trying to figure it out. Okay? That, that is not the Bible's concept at all. You, you're a kid, then you're a grown-up. That's how that works in, in the Bible. And, and so our country right now is plagued with what we call the Peter Pan syndrome, okay? J- just men specifically failing to launch, men failing to grow up. They, they want to extend their adolescence. They want to stay at home as long as they can. They don't want to get a job. They don't want to worry about getting married. What they would rather do is play video games, drink beer, and play with their buddies, okay? And, and our country is full of them right now. Um, the, the age, the average age of somebody getting married is consistently getting older and older and older because men in particular are extending their adolescence as far as they can go. As long as mommy and daddy will foot the bill, they are more than happy to sit on the couch in their underwear um, and let mama continue to tuck them in at night and do their laundry, okay? And, and so now we have 20-somethings, 25, 26, sometimes 30-year-olds, right, who, who just still haven't figured it out. I'm, 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 just, I'm just trying to figure out what, what, what God has for me. Here's what God has for you. Get a job, right? Get a job, get a house, find a wife, get married, right? That's, that's what God has for you, right? Get off of the couch, put the controller down, and get to work, right? Controller down, pants on, go to work, um, so this is talking about not men who are trying to extend their adolescence, children who are just staying at home, uh, living off the parents' dime. Uh, those people need to be kicked in the tail. This is talking about actual children, kids who are dependent on their parents. Okay, that was my soapbox, probably not really in the text. That was just personal. Sorry. Children, okay, children, obey. Okay, everybody say obey. Obey. 
this is a great four-letter word, okay? There are a lot of bad four-letter words. This is a, a really, really good one, okay? A again, generally submitting. This is the posture and heart of every believer, and specifically, kids need to obey their parents. And listen, parents, this is our job as parents to help them understand that they can freely give away their right to do what they want because they have received so much in Christ, okay? And so if we can communicate that truth to our children, it helps them understand their posture of submission. Christ was submissive, I can be submissive. Christ obeyed the Father, I can obey the Father, okay? So, so there is a time to say, do this, okay? Why, Dad? Because I said so, okay? That is a proper and good answer sometimes, okay? Sometimes, not all the time. Because we have to communicate the truth that, son or, or daughter, you're able to obey um, because of Christ's modeled obedience for you. Son or daughter, you're able to obey, you're able to give away your right to do what you want because you have received so much in Jesus. And, and, and so you, you see how small your obedience is? So, so you're, you're cultivating that idea and that thought in the hearts um, of, of your children. Now, this is... Children, obey your parents, and then it follows up with, in the Lord. Now, what this is pointing at, okay, if you remember the flow of the book, the first three chapters were what? You guys remember? Yeah, yeah, orthodoxy or correct doctrine. That, that was the first three chapters. Now, four through six is the practice of those things, the practice of the life of a believer. So Paul here is assuming Christian parents, Okay, Paul here is assuming Christian parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, in the Lord. He is assuming that parents are giving godly good advice. Okay, so that on one side of this, that kicks back to the parents to say, are you giving good godly advice to your, to your children? Are you teaching them not just to obey, but why they obey? But that also, we have to, because I think there are a lot of, uh, especially some of the young people that are here this morning, don't have Christian parents and don't get good and godly advice from them. And so what does that mean? Okay, what, what does it look like for your life if, if you're in a home where your parents are not believers? You're looking at this text here that says, obey them, but what do you do now? What do you do now, because your, your command here is to obey. Here's what it means. It means submit and obey, but keep your first allegiance, Jesus. Submit and obey. Again, the Christian's life, every Christian everywhere, should have a general posture of submission. Okay? So we submit and obey. Now, for those of you who have non-saved parents or parents who do not give you good, godly counsel, obey them as far as you can until they ask you or call you to sin, okay? That, that's, where you, that's where you draw the line. So, so when the parent is pushing you, saying, I don't know why you spend so much time at that church. I don't know why you give your money to them. I don't know why you, I mean, why don't you guys just move in together? You know, you'll save money before you get married. You know, you, you guys, I mean, you're gonna get married, right? Just go ahead and move in together and save money. Okay, so, so we obey our parents until it gets to a point of sin, and then, and, and then we don't obey there. We keep our first allegiance, Christ, and, and obey him, okay? That, that's for those of you who have parents who are not saved. Okay, so he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, 
okay? This is so practical, so simple this morning. Obey your parents in the Lord. If you're a kid at home, obey them. Now he's going to give a modifier of how you obey. Okay, so, so it's not just doing what your parents say. There's something beyond that that, that is going to speak into actually how, how you, how you obey. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Okay, then look what it says. Honor, oh Lord, honor your father and your mother. Okay, so here's the modifier. Kids are to obey with a glad heart. Kids are to obey their parents with a glad heart, not begrudgingly, okay? Not, sweetheart, I want you to take out the trash. Fine, mom. <sighs> Get out the trash bag and you throw it and then you stomp, you know, stomping as loud as you can to let the entire neighborhood know how upset you are that you were inconvenienced to take out the trash, okay? That, that our heart as, as children, as a child should be, um, I'm going to obey with a, with a glad heart. Um, when I was growing up, uh, I had uh, my, my sister and I uh, kind of shared a bathroom, and, and we had to take turns cleaning uh, that bathroom. It was also the guest bathroom, uh, so when, you know, especially when people were coming over, you know, we had to make sure uh, it was clean. And, and so my dad had instructed me several, multiple, a plethora you know, of, of times throughout the week, son, you got, got to get, get the bathroom clean when you get the bathroom cleaned. Okay, Dad, I'll get right on it. You know, next day, get the bathroom clean, son. Son, need you to clean the bathroom, son. Son, could you please clean the bath? Okay, Dad, I'll get to it. Put them off, put them off, put them off. Finally, finally, it was like getting ready. People were about to come over, and it was time to clean the bathroom right now, okay? So my dad, loving, comes in. Son, I, I need, you to, need you to go clean the bathroom. Yeah, Dad, I'll get right on that. No, now, Okay, now, with a prompt arm grab and an escort to the restroom. Okay, that's, that's what happened right then. So I was lovingly uh, escorted to the restroom. The door was flung open. I was shoved in in a very nice way. Don't call child protective yet. Shoved in in a very nice way. Clean the bathroom now. Okay, so he leaves. So what I do, okay, um, is I take a wash rag and I plop myself down on the bathroom counter and I begin to systematically, one by one, uh, wipe away the toothpaste speckles. Okay, you, you guys know, you guys have toothpaste speckles on the mirror? Okay, cool, it's not just me. So I'm sitting there with this smirk on my face, one by one, cleaning each and every individual little toothpaste speck that I could. 20 minutes later, my dad comes back in, flings open the door, Son, why, why isn't the bathroom cleaned? Here was my response. Dad, I am cleaning the bathroom one speck at a time. Oh, boy. <laughs> he should have slapped the taste out of my mouth, boy. Okay, again, my dad being very loving, very gracious, did not slap the taste out of my mouth, which, which I, I, I should have. Okay, but, but do you see the heart there? I was obeying. I was cleaning the bathroom one toothpaste speck at a time, right? But I wasn't doing it in an honoring way. So I had obeyed, but not in an honoring way. What this text is calling children who live at home and are dependent on their parents is not just to obey the letter of the law, but to obey the heart of the law. And in addition, this is what God calls every believer to everywhere, is not for us just to obey the Christian moralistic laws, Okay? You're not supposed to do this. You're not supposed to do this. You're not supposed to do this. But we're called to obey God in such a way that brings honor to him and his name. Amen? So children, 
obey your parents, um, but, but you're supposed to do it in an, honoring, in an honoring way. Now, for anyone who has been a parent longer than five minutes, um, ha- have you seen this or found this to be difficult? To, to get your kids to obey in an honoring way, okay? Oh, very good, very good. My mother just raised her hand, okay. I wanna talk about why, okay? Here is why this is going to be an uphill battle. Here is why it's going to be a struggle for us as parents to teach our children to obey in an honoring way, okay? Um, first, because they are wicked, terrible, awful sinners, Okay? That, that is just the cold, hard reality. Okay? David the psalmist says, I was born in iniquity. They come out cute, soft, and cuddly, and wicked, evil sinners. Okay? Kids are sinners, right? And, and, and listen, I, 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 we, we've got to understand that. We, we've got to know in our hearts that our kids, no matter how cute they are, no matter how gorgeous they are, and how fun they are sometimes, they are are sinners. They're, they're, they're sinners. And so um, when Lydia, my daughter, when she does not get her way, here's what she does. She hits, she screams, and she flops around on the floor. Okay? Now, the question is, how did she learn that? Okay? I, I have never done that. Okay? You can ask my wife. I have not gotten my way in our house several times. I have never laid in the floor, uh, flopped around, and screamed like a girl. Okay? It, it hasn't happened. I have not done that. Okay, I have never, she's never seen me hit, I've never hit, I, you know, I, I've never thrown a tantrum. Lydia has, that has not been modeled for her, so the question is, how is she exhibiting these behaviors? Because she's a wicked sinner, okay? She's a wicked sinner, okay? So the, the reason I'm telling you, you parents that, and it's so important, and, and for those of you who are not parents, going into parenthood, you know this, because wrong expectations will lead to frustration, Okay? Wrong expectations or improper expectations are going to lead to frustration, okay? So the other day, uh, we went to our community group, okay? Um, When we went there, our daughter had not had a nap, okay? Now, when my daughter does not have a nap, she gets off the chain, right? She just gets wild and mean and grumpy. There's no pacifying her. She's just going to be mean, right? It's just that's what's going to happen. So we went in with the mindset of, during community group, my kid is probably going to throw a fit, and uh, it's going to be embarrassing to me and my wife, but this is just where we are, right? So we went in with a proper expectation. My kid is a sinner. She has not had a nap, which amplifies her sin nature. Okay, here we go. So, so we went in there, and sure enough, five minutes in, you know, she's laying on the floor. Ah! Ah! You know, and everybody's looking. We're just like, yeah, that's, you know, she's a wicked sinner. Here we go, you know. Um, somebody preached the gospel to her. Um, so, so, so we have to know, we look at this text as, you know, parents, you know, uh, train your children, do this, do this, get them to obey, but have them obey in a loving and honoring way, and you're just seeing like this disconnect in the system going, why isn't my kid doing this? Well, they're not doing it because they're a sinner, and what they need is a great Savior. And the parent's role, the parent's job is to display that Savior for them so that they might come to a place of walking in just general submission and obeying their parents in a way that's honoring to them, okay? Um, In addition, another reason that uh, kids generally do not obey um, is because we live in a world that does not honor age, Our culture does not honor age. Think about all of our pop stars. Think about every magazine cover. Think about, okay, all of those people, young people. 
Um, which is, you, you got to see that America in particular is a little bit unique because a lot of Asian cultures, other cultures honor their elders. They, they hold their elders and parents in high esteem. Uh, but here, not so much. Okay? As a matter of fact, most people who start to get older uh, do everything in their power to hide that they're getting older. Okay? They dye their hair, you know, nip it, tuck it, stretch it, whatever it costs, right? whatever it takes to not appear old because our culture doesn't hold um, age and, and elderly in, in high esteem. We, we just don't. Uh, we, we think they're slow, silly, foolish, get in the way, old, antiquated, we're new, young, vibrant, um, Here's what the Bible has to say, Proverbs 16, 31. Gray hair, ladies in this room, gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. Okay, so here is what I want to say specifically to GCC because we are a group of largely young people. Let us not idolize our youth to the point um, of not hearing and not respecting people who are older than us and have gone before us. Amen? Our heart is not only to be a multi, um, uh, a multi-ethnic church, we also want to be a multi-generational church. We, we want to hear from people who have gone before us, people who have raised kids, they're already out of the house, people who have been walking with Jesus, loving Jesus for a really long time. We, we want to hear from those people. And so, yeah, we're a bunch of young people. We want more old people, okay? That, that's what we want in our church uh, because we don't have it all figured out. We're figuring it out as we go along. And so we want to hear from them because we at this church believe that gray hair, as the Bible says, gray hair is a crown of glory, even if it is covered up with dye. Moving right along. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. Listen to this. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Uh, now, some Bible commentators incorrectly believe that when you obey your parents, uh, God sends down some magical sprinklings that helps you live longer. Okay, um, that, that's not necessarily true. Okay, I, I want you to see the intent um, of what this promise is pointing to. What it's saying is that when you obey godly instruction, you naturally avoid the stuff that shortens your life. Okay, when you obey godly instruction, you, you naturally avoid the stuff that shortens your life. Okay, uh, addiction. Okay, when you obey godly instruction, <laughs> you. You, you stay away from addiction to drugs, alcohol, and the, and the sort, which actually shorten your life. You, you don't live a violent life, which shortens your life. You, you're not sexually promiscuous, which can lead to uh, sexually transmitted diseases, which shorten your life. You avoid bad relationships, which, I mean, any doctor in the world will tell you a bad relationship will shorten your life. Um, and so what, what godly instruction does, listening to your parents who are godly and giving godly counsel, it naturally builds in you a longer, more healthy, and, and, better, and better life. So here's my summary. Children, give your parents glad obedience because it pales in comparison to what you have received in Christ. Give your parents glad obedience because it pales in comparison in what you have received in Christ. Focus on what you have got in Christ. Look, look at all that I've received in Christ. Hope, love, joy, peace, a future, promises, all, all the richness that comes uh, with Christ. Verse four, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction 
of the Lord. Okay, uh, fathers, um, if if you've counseled anyone um, or uh, done any type of pastoral ministry to where you've really sat down and talked with someone about issues in their life, um, you've, you've heard this reoccurring theme uh, that, that they have daddy issues. Everybody say daddy issues. Daddy issues. Everybody's got daddy issues, okay? Um, and, and it's a reoccurring theme. As I have pastored and met with people and talked with people and really began to dig at the root um, of here's an issue in their life, a lot of times it's tied back to their father figure and, and the pain that was brought in by him. Now, I, I think that one of the big problems uh, with fathers is that they miss the end goal. Okay, dads, we have to know what the end goal is. And where we don't follow through and hit the end goal, our, our children end up walking around with the father figure wound. Okay, so you're asking, what is the end goal? Okay, step one, get married. Okay, step two, make babies. Okay, so, but that's not where it ends. Most dads believe that's the goal. The goal is to get married and make babies, okay? But, but it doesn't stop there, gentlemen. Our job is not done there. We, we have to get married, make babies, dot, 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 followers of Jesus. That, that's the end goal. But, but so many fathers believe they've arrived. I got married, you know, I, I, I made babies. There you go. Congratulations, okay? Congratulations. Um, what we're looking for is that next step of fathers stepping up to see through and follow through to the end goal, which is making babies followers um, of, of Jesus, okay? Uh, so the, the purpose of marriage, let, let's go back to this because we, I, I want us to see the full picture. The purpose of, uh, of marriage is, uh, the main meaning behind it is to display the intimacy we have with God and his ability to keep uh, his covenant with us. The, the main point of marriage is essentially a living parable of Jesus' love for his church. Marriage is not magnificent because it's marriage. <laughs> marriage is magnificent because it points to something that is magnificent. It's magnificent because it's a reflector of something magnificent. Marriage in and of itself is two sinners living in the same house. Okay? That's not very magnificent. But when you see what marriage is supposed to point to or when you see the ultimate goal of marriage, which is to display Jesus' love for his church, then marriage comes magnificent and the main purpose of marriage becomes to glorify God. Now, that's not the only purpose of marriage because there are secondary purposes and one of the secondary purposes of marriage is to make babies followers of Jesus. Now, for anyone who has ever struggled with infertility, this is really, really great news. <laughs> because the end goal isn't making babies. <laughs> the, the end goal is making babies followers of Jesus so you can adopt some and make them followers of Jesus, right? So we've got to see when fathers miss the end goal, uh, essentially, how, how do I make this kid a follower of Jesus, okay? It, it, you don't get the gold star. You don't get the you completed the, the race ribbon when you start cranking out kids. That's only the beginning of the race. That's only the beginning of the race. The, the race ends when you die. Um, the, the race ends when you die. Um, so fathers, okay, he, here is what it commands uh, from us. It, it says, do not provoke them to anger. This is the call to fathers. This is a warning to fathers 
Do not provoke your kids to anger. Now, what does that mean? Does it mean fathers should never do stuff that makes their kids angry? <laughs> Are you sure? Okay. Not, okay, not a lot of consensus in the room. Okay. Uh, no, that's not what it means. Okay, fathers can do stuff that, that makes their kids angry, but here's a better way uh, to think about it. Avoid making them angry, if at all possible. This is what a father's job is to do, is to avoid, I don't want to make my kids angry, okay? I want to avoid making them angry, if at all possible. Practically speaking, dads, here's what this means. Say yes as much as you can. Say yes as much as you can, okay? Uh, my kid is the cutest kid on the planet. Um, I'll argue that all day. Um, here, here's what she has learned to do. She's learned to give the sign for please, Okay? Um, you know, just a little tiny thing, and she'll point at stuff and say, please. My job right now as a dad is to, as much as I can, say yes. She, she'll point and go, sigh, sigh, and, and give me the sign for please. She's asking, can we go outside, please? What's my answer? Yes, we can go outside. Yes, and, and we'll, we'll go on the swing, and we'll do whatever. Um, she'll point at the TV and, and go, clap, clap, please, please, because she wants to watch a show. And so, yeah, we can watch a show. Just my, my, my job as a father is to say yes as much as possible. Now, it has that caveat of as much as possible. Okay, I came down the stairs the other day. Uh, I made my morning coffee. There she was playing. I sat down. She crawled up in my lap and pointed at my coffee and said, please. Okay, what's my answer? No, you can't have coffee, right? You're already off the chain. You don't need no coffee. <laughs> but, uh, uh, listen, practically speaking, dads, Christian dads should be the funnest dads on the planet, okay? When, when you go to Chick-fil-A on the dress up like a cow and get free Chick-fil-A day, and you see a grown man dressed as a cow going down the slide, running around like a crazy person with his kids, assume he's a Christian, just assume that's what Christian dads do. Christian dads are fun dads, right? They, they, they say yes to their kids as much as possible as not to provoke them uh, to, to anger. He goes on to say this, bring them up in discipline, okay? Discipline. What, is, what does discipline mean? Here is a good definition to work from. This means encourage and reward towards good habits and discourage and punish towards bad habits, Okay? It, it's both. It's both. Um, discipline isn't just go pick out your own switch. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Anybody had to go pick out their own switch before? Okay. Yeah. Oh, good. I'm not alone. Okay. Very good. Discipline is not just go pick out your own switch. It, it's also encouraging and rewarding towards good habits and discouraging and punishing towards bad habits. It's, it's both. It, it is pressing towards that. So what the dad is constantly asking, what a father constantly asks is, what does it look like for my kid to be conformed to the image of God? What does it look like for my child to be more like Jesus, okay? That means you're going to have to encourage towards good habits that develop them to be more like Christ, and you're going to have to discourage towards habits that make them less like Christ. But that's the question the dad is constantly asking. What, what can I do? How can I play a vital role in making my kid be more like Christ, be more conformed into uh, the image of the living God? That means dads, we we have a working plan. 
We have a working plan for discipline in our home. The problem is a lot of us dads, um, here's our working plan for discipline. When they get off the chain, beat them. And our plan ends there, okay? Step one, they get off the chain. Step two, beat them, okay? Other dads, this is their plan. Step one, they, they get off the chain. Step two, ignore them. And, and that is the working plan for discipline. Um, but when, when I say a dad needs to develop and have a working plan for discipline, I say that uh, because every kid is going to be individual and unique, and you'll need to develop a plan tailor-made for that kid in how you're going to move them towards being more like Christ, okay? Um, that, that is the role of a dad. So this means behavioral discipline. In addition, this means spiritual discipline. So when it says don't press them to anger, don't provoke them to anger, but discipline them, this does mean behavioral discipline, but it also means spiritual discipline. Here's what this means. This means the father sets the spiritual tone in the home. He is the leader in Bible reading. He is the leader in prayer. He is the leader in fasting. He is the leader in church attendance. He sets the tone and the pace for the spiritual trajectory of the home. Does that make sense? So, so all of those are spiritual disciplines. You see that? Bible reading is a spiritual discipline, prayer, fasting, church attendance, all of that service, right? All of, that, all of those are spiritual disciplines, and the father is to train his kid in spiritual disciplines, not just moral behavior, but also spiritual, spiritual disciplines, okay? Um, now, look back at verse two. Chapter six, verse two. Honor your father and mother. Okay, now look at verse four. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction. I point that out because in verse two, it was parents. It was mothers and fathers. In verse four, it is specifically the men. It is specifically the men. Here's what I mean. The man should take the primary role in discipline. Okay, does the mom discipline? Yes, but it is the man's primary job to discipline behaviorally and spiritually. So this is what I mean. If there was an issue with your child, behaviorally or spiritually, and, and, and Jesus was going to address that issue personally, um, he comes over to your house and he knocks on the door. Whoever opens the door, Jesus will say, there's a problem with little Johnny, can I speak to the man of the house? That's what Jesus would do because it is the father's primary role to lead in discipline and to lead in instruction, instructing their children in the ways of the Lord. Here's my press to you men. You cannot instruct your children if you yourself do not know the instructions, okay? This is a call to you men to open up your Bible, get in your word, because God is going to hold you responsible, men. He's going to hold you responsible about how you led your family, about how you led your children. Did you discipline them? Did you instruct them in the ways of the Lord, men? You will be held accountable. And so we we have to step up, and, and we've got to know the word of God 
We've got to get off of our tails and help discipline our kids. We've got to get up off of our tails and begin to instruct and open up our mouth and speak gospel truths into our children. I don't care how you, if you've got an infant right now, get in the habit of speaking gospel truth into them. Just over and over and over. Tell them the gospel. Sing with them. Read them the Bible. Well, they don't understand it yet. So what? Start doing it now. Get in the habit of doing it now because if you get in the habit of doing it now, it's more likely you'll just keep right on doing it all the way um, until they're out of the house and, and beyond, and beyond, okay? Here's my summary. A godly father knows his goal is to make babies followers of Jesus, so he takes the primary role in discipline and instruction, okay? In discipline and instruction. Um, let me just say that as a side note, men, your kids will grow up to ask the why question, Okay, I know that because I ask it about a billion times. Okay? Your kids are going to grow up to ask the why question. And how you answer the why question when it comes to matters of spirituality is either going to cultivate dead religion or vital spiritual life. Okay? Does that make sense, men? So, so your kids are going to ask you, Daddy, why are you reading that book? Daddy, why do we go to church so much? Daddy, why do we pray before a meal? Daddy, why do we, they're, they're going to ask that question. And so men, be thinking about how you're going to answer that question because how you answer it is going to cultivate moralistic religion in your kid by answering this way. Well, we just do, son. Oh, we do. Well, it's Sunday. We, we have to go, okay? Or you can answer in a way that is God-honoring. Daddy, why do we read this book? Because this book is the word of life, son. That's why, that's why we read this book. Daddy, why do we go to church? Because we want to hear God's word preached and we want to celebrate with the family of God. If you can begin to answer the why questions of your children in that way, it will cultivate vital spiritual life instead of cold, dead religion. Okay? Um, okay, move, I gotta move. I gotta move. Verses five through eight. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, that he will receive it back from the Lord. Okay, um, so this begins with the word slaves. We need to hit the brakes right here, and, and, and we've got to look at two different types of slavery. This is the Greek word bondservant. Everybody say bondservant. I want to look at very quickly uh, the, the biblical idea of slavery and the American idea of uh, slavery. Let, let's just juxtapose those two ideas very uh, very quickly, if we can. Biblical slavery was for a limited time, and you offered your services to someone for an agreed-upon price. American slavery was for a lifetime. Once they got a slave, that was it, and it was not for an agreed-upon price. Sometimes they worked for, like, nothing, okay? That, that's American slavery, in addition, in this idea of bond servant or biblical slavery, you could pay your way out. In American slavery, you could not. 
Um, in biblical slavery, uh, this was not a substandard position. So there were bond servants or slaves in the New Testament world who were doctors, who were public officials, um, so on and so forth. Uh, in the biblical idea of slavery, it did not involve kidnapping. As a matter of fact, the Bible forbids kidnapping. The biblical idea of slavery was not based on race. These slaves had rights. These slaves sometimes lived better than their masters. These slaves could own property and invest their money. The Bible is roundly, firmly against American slavery, okay, wholeheartedly. The, the problem is during that time, there were some very foolish white men who tried to use texts like this to leverage it towards saying, hey, look at our actions and our lifestyle. Isn't it right? The problem is they missed Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. It says, for he himself has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two and that he might reconcile us both to God through his body, thereby killing the hostility. There is now in Christ one new man, not black, not white, not slave, not free, not, not, not male, nor female. There is one new man, one new race in Christ. So positionally, we are one in Christ with our African-American brothers. So positionally, we are one in Christ with them. We need to work on practically making that a reality. Total sidebar, moving along. This is better understood in this way. When it says slaves, import the word employee or worker, okay? This was this type of system here in, in the Bible. This is not talking about our American concept of, of slavery, okay? So, slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear uh, and, and trembling, okay? So, again, this is clearly saying, this is not hard to uh, exegete here, okay? You're not going to get some type of brilliant, you know, like th this is really simple, okay? Obey. Who in here has a job? I won't look, okay, for the dudes who don't have jobs. Just go ahead and raise your hand if you have a job, okay, put them down. If you just raised your hand and said you had a job, this is talking to you, okay? What's it saying? Do what your boss says, okay? Real simple, okay? Real simple. Do what uh, your boss says, it says, slaves, obey your earthly masters. And so it's telling you very clearly, very plainly, very practically, obey, do what your boss says, and don't be the employee that has to be micromanaged, okay? So the boss comes around, he's standing there, and you're like, oh, oh, yeah, hi, good, good morning, sir, you know, doing your work, as soon as you leave, you're like, okay, back to Angry Birds, here we go, you know, like, don't, don't, don't be that type of employee, don't be the type of employee where you have to be uh, micromanaged, rather, do this in, in a very particular way, and, and it's going to explain to us how we're to do that. We're to do that in a way with fear and trembling, okay? Again, this is not uh, talking about, uh, like, live in terror of your boss, um, this means in a respectful way, okay? This means you're, you shouldn't treat your boss like your buddy, okay? So some of you guys talk to your boss in a really inappropriate way. You treat them like a buddy. Your boss is not your buddy. He's your boss, so you should obey him in a very respectful way. Again, there was another modifier. Did you see that? It said, with a sincere heart. This means you obey genuinely. It means that you really really want to do your job with a sincere heart. It said not as people pleasers, okay? So you really, really want to do your job, okay? Now, that sounds really, really hard to do, okay? 
Now, I love my job. It's so easy for me to do my job with a sincere heart. And maybe some of you out there are thinking, yeah, well, I mean, if, you know, if I had your job, you know, whatever. So, so the question is, how do you change the oil in a car if you're a mechanic with a sincere heart? How do you file papers with joy and exuberance, right? How do you, what, what does that look like to do a mundane day-to-day task you would consider, but do it in such a way that you just love to be there, right? You love filing papers. It's just, it is the highlight of your whole life. I want more papers to file, right? How, how, do, you, how do you have that type of heart? Do you see what it said in the text? Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart. Here, here's, the, here's the key. As you would Christ. That's the key to working your job with joy and exuberance. Having a good work ethic comes from recognizing that you have a divine boss. Having a good work ethic comes from recognizing you have a divine boss. So those of you in here who are school teachers, okay, you're teaching Jesus kids. Those of you who are changing oil, you're changing Jesus' oil, right? Those of you who are filing papers, those are Jesus' papers. So, so file them as you would if he were like standing right there, okay? That, that is how we, we cultivate this type of good work ethic that, again, is not just obeying to obey, but is obeying with a joyful heart. And did you see the reward at the end? It said, rendering your services with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Okay, this doesn't mean that if you <laughs> work your job like Jesus is standing right there, that you are absolutely going to get a raise, you're going to get promoted, God wants you wealthy, healthy, happy, so on and so forth. It means that in the end, when you stand before Jesus, you get to throw your crowns at his feet, and that is your reward. Your hard work is not actually for your boss or for your company. Your hard work is for him, and so in the end, when you see him face to face, he rewards you, okay? He, he rewards you. Lastly, verse nine, and I'll shut it down. Verse nine, masters, do the same to them, And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is uh, both their master and is yours in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him, okay? So how many, by a show of hands, how many of you have employees under you? Raise your hand, okay? You've got some people who work on it, okay. Here is what this is saying. Don't come from a posture of threatening. Hey, do your job or you're getting fired. Hey, you watch it, buddy. I can fire you, right? Just... Don't, that, that is not the, the posture or attitude of a, of a godly boss. Uh, rather, he, he's not a threatening guy. He, he realizes what this text is talking about, the golden rule. You guys know it. Treat others as you, you want to be treated. Okay, Treat others as you want to be uh, treated. And, and uh, God doesn't hold partiality. He, he loves the worker just as much as he, he loves the boss. It, it's that clear that plain and simple. And for those of you who, who are working a job and, and maybe your boss is a jerk, okay, listen, here is your model for taking abuse, unnecessary abuse. Here's your model, Jesus, okay? So, so if you're feeling like, I can't honor and respect my boss. He doesn't honor and respect me. He's a jerk. He shows up late and makes me get there on time. He doesn't do his work and I have to do his work. Listen, 
here's a really good model for, for being abused. Here's a really good model for submission in, and obedience even though the other person didn't deserve it or earn it. Okay, that's, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. Application, then I'm gonna get out of your way. Number one, if you are a dependent child living at home, obey your parents with an honoring heart. Okay, if you're a dependent kid who lives at home, obey your parents with an honoring heart. Seek to show Christ in everything that you do. Okay, especially for those of you who are in here and you don't have uh, parents who are saved, work doubly hard to be submissive and honoring to them so that they see Christ in you. Number two, if you are a grown-up and your parents are still alive, seek to cultivate a healthy relationship with them. Okay, Seek to cultivate a healthy relationship with them. Moving on to the fathers. Moving on to the fathers. Number one, teach them biblical principles through mouthing and modeling. Teach your kids biblical principles through mouthing. That means us dads, we communicate biblical principles to our kids. Not only do we say them, we also live them out and model them. We're mouthing and we're modeling. We're explaining. You see son or you see daughter, everything that we have comes from the Lord. This isn't our stuff. This isn't our house. It's actually all for Jesus. And so that's why we have so many people over all the time because we want to love on people and serve people. So we use our house to serve Jesus. That's, that's mouthing um, and that's modeling for us dads. In addition, dads have a ministry of presence. Dad should have a ministry of presence. Here's why I say that. The most important lessons my dad ever taught me were on the fly. They, 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 they weren't planned. They weren't scheduled. He, he didn't like, you know, have a, a three-point, you know, scripture and a Bible lesson to sit down and teach me, even though he did that sometimes. But the best lessons that I learned from my dad happened on the fly, and it was because he had a ministry of presence. He was at dinner. He was at whatever practices I was doing. He was there, and because he was there, he, he had a ministry of presence with me, and I learned so many lessons from watching him just on the fly, Okay. In addition, dads, protect your kids. Protect your kids. I know story after story after story about dads who were not protective over their children, did not know where they were and what they were doing, and their children end up getting hurt and abused. Okay, I spent many years in youth ministry, and I saw that happen again and again and again. Dads not knowing where their kids were, letting them go over to spend the night at so-and-so's house or go to this party or go to this thing or that thing, and the dads didn't protect them, and, and the kids end up getting hurt. Dads, we've got to protect our children. Okay, Practically, um, th this means you protect your home. Okay, you, you have something in your home to protect your home. Okay, Firearms are good, ordained by the Lord. Nehemiah says protect your family and they had weapons in their hands. That's a good thing, but it also extends beyond that as well to know where your kids are, what they're doing, what content they're consuming, what television shows they're watching, what books they're reading. Workers, moving on to the workers now. Here's your practical application. If you're here and you work a job, work your job like you're doing it for Jesus, right? Because you are. Lastly, for the bosses, Treat others how you want to be treated and don't be a jerk, <laughs> okay? As I, as I work through this text today, um, I, I, I'm so convicted about 
what I'm calling the fathers to this week, working through this, just, just super convicted about what it, what it calls my work ethic to be, uh, super convicted about this life of submission that I'm called to live. And so I, I, I just felt this great weight on me. But here's what the Holy Spirit reminded me of. He, he reminded me that what God calls you to, he will equip you for, Okay. So, so as I sat under the, the, the great conviction of this text, to be a father who, who doesn't provoke my kid to anger, and to be a father who disciplines, and to be a father who instructs, and to be a worker who's diligent, and to be a boss who isn't a jerk, like, I was just like, how, how is this even possible? It, it seems like too much. It seems like, I mean, I'm, just, I'm never going to get there. And, and so then I started thinking, man, like, what if people walk out on Sunday, and they just, the dads in the room just feel like, man, I'm a... I'm a total mess up. I'm a total failure. I'll never be that. What if the workers, people who are, you know, struggle with laziness walk out of here just feeling super discouraged today? I was like, I don't want that to happen. And, and the father spoke and said, listen, listen, I will never call someone to what I have not equipped them for. And so listen, you have a brilliant, beautiful identity in Christ. If you're here today and you're a father, guess what? God has equipped you with the necessary tools for you to be a father who does not provoke their kids to anger who disciplines well and instructs them in the Lord. If you're here today and you're working a job and you're trying to figure out how to work that job with passion, guess what? God is going to equip you through your identity in him to work that job with joy and exuberance. If you're a boss with people under you and you're figuring out, man, how do I not be a total jerk to them? Guess what? God has equipped you with what he's called you to, okay? So, so I want us to go out today, no one discouraged, People, let's leave today so encouraged that God has called, that he's even called us to something. It's crazy. I mean, he could do it himself if he wanted to. If he really wanted my daughter to be disciplined and instructed, God could show up himself and do it. And it would get done way better. But he called me to do it. He called me to do it. And, and dads, he called you to do it. Not only did he call you to do it, but he equipped you to do it. And so leave here encouraged today that we've been called and equipped by the Lord Jesus. And how that is possible is that he came and he died on the cross in our place for our sins. That is the gospel. Let me pray for us. Father, I, I love your word. Um, what, what a beautiful word um, this morning about fathers and about uh, workers and, and just living a life of submission. Father, I pray that I would begin to do better at laying my life down for other people. Uh, Father, I repent for the times to where I put my convenience um, over sacrifice, where I put my comfortability um, in a place of honor instead of putting you in the place of honor. Help me to live a life of general submission Help me to raise my daughter the way that, that you would have me raise her. Father, I pray that the fathers leave here encouraged today, not, not beat up, but they leave here encouraged today knowing that this is, a, <laughs> this is gonna be hard and, and it's gonna be a long process and I'm gonna fail and I'm gonna screw up. But let the dads leave here today super encouraged that you've equipped them for the task that you've called them to. Help the, the workers, people who are working a job, leave here excited to go to work on Monday morning. I know that sounds crazy, but, but let this church wake up in the morning and go, I can't wait to get to work and do my work for Jesus. Help the bosses in the room uh, to, to know where their place is and to see 
that they should leverage every bit of their authority to bring you glory. Father, lastly, we we just thank you for your great gospel, um, that the only way that we're called and equipped to do all this stuff um, is that Jesus came, that that we're just a bunch of sinners here. We we don't have anything figured out other than Jesus died for us. Um, And so we're just thankful for your gospel today. Help us to meditate on that as we move uh, into the next part of our service. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen.